Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr Kate Steele. And I'm Dr Kate McCrossan. And today we're talking about the important things to consider when you're preparing to start studying for the Part 2 exam. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. We also acknowledge the unique stresses of trying to sit a difficult exam in the midst of a global pandemic. The situation with regards to exams is constantly changing, but some of the basics haven't, so we will cover those today. So, Kate, we sat the exam around about the same time, didn't we? We did. 2014. That, That is true. So, look, I started studying around about 10 months beforehand, which would probably be around about May for the following March sitting. When did you kick off? So, we were pretty similar. My study group started about somewhere between 10 and 12 months out. Mm, So, exactly the same sort of thing. And what did you begin with in terms of your study? So, I started with the MCQs. Um, I thought that was just a nice, easy area to tackle. And I looked at the I lasted five years of MCQs. Now, how one obtains the MCQs is a um, controversial topic that we won't cover. <laughs> uh, but we did have access um, to some MCQs to practice off. And it was just a, it was a nice, easy way to ease in. I could do it in theatre or I could do it at home. And I could cover one MCQ topic in around about 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. I did go into depth with each MCQ and learn it for myself. And I I found that was a good place to start. And of course, the obligatory trip to Officeworks to acquire some attractive stationery, which some listeners will appreciate in this podcast and some won't. And how about yourself? So we were a little different. We had a study group and we started meeting about 12 months out from the first sort of written exam. Um, and from the word go, we actually broke all of our time down into very specific slots where we had, we went through the syllabus and we actually allocated specific weeks to specific Mm. learning objectives. So we tried to cover a complete breadth of knowledge um, in 12 months, also to, you know, to a certain depth that we thought would be appropriate to be able to answer questions for the part two. Now, when we were doing that timetable, we also factored in extra time for revision and extra time for completing SAQ papers and MCQ papers. So we did ours a little differently. We saved a lot of the exam going through past papers you know, to until right yeah. before the exam. Yeah, right we're, the exam. We're, myself, I started on my own, but when I got back to Brisbane, I got a study group together and we were probably a little more exam-based in mm. our approach. So we'll probably go through this at a later stage. Absolutely. Um, but the good news is many people find the part two exam more pleasant to study for, I think, Absolutely. than the primary exam because it's more clinical and more amenable to cl- Um The bad news is, as you would have discovered through the curriculum, the subject matter is hugely broad and virtually endless. Um, but today we're going to cover the basics sort of almost in the pre-contemplative phase of studying. And today we'll actually start, well, initially we'll start with a discussion about the format of the exam, again noting that currently the medical vivas are not being held because of the pandemic. To start with, the exam can be split into four parts. The multi-choice paper, which consists of 150 multi-choice questions answered in 150 minutes. The short answer paper, which is 15 questions answered in 150 minutes. The medical vivas, which consists of two vivas, each of which last for 18 minutes. And the anaesthetic vivas, of which there are eight and each of them are 15 minutes long. And all of these eight vivas occur in one day. Now, in order to be eligible to actually attend the anaesthetic vivas, you need to achieve a minimum requirement for both the written and the medical vivas. And that minimum requirement is that you have to have achieved at least 40% 
marks in both the MCQ paper and the SAQ paper. And as well as that, you have to have achieved a pass in at least one of either the multi-choice questions, the short answer questions, or the medical vibers. Yeah, so just to clarify that, achieving 40% on the MCQs and the SAQs does not constitute a pass in these sections. They are just the minimum requirement needed to be offered an anaesthetic viva. Just also check the format, Kate, just to go back. So the MCQs and SAQs are all held on the same day. That is correct. And And traditionally a Friday? Yep, so traditionally that's on a Friday. And then the medical vivas are held the following day, which is traditionally a Saturday. Um, so those two days when you're, when you're actually sitting them and you're in the trenches is quite exhausting. So and that's generally in your home city this year, obviously the medical vibers and I suspect next year will, won't be a component, but we'll yes. have to wait here from ANSCA at the moment. The medical vibers are not, uh, considered part of the exam. Yes. And then usually there's a break of, you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that They're between abouts. the written papers and then the anesthetic vibers. Yeah. Once again, which have traditionally been held in uh, a city? Yes. So previously it's either been Melbourne for the first sitting of the exam or Sydney for the second sitting Mm. of the exam. Again, at this stage with the pandemic, everything's up in the air at the moment, but I believe the college are working really hard to try and organise how they're going to be able to test people fairly yet safely in the setting of the pandemic. Now, in order to actually pass the exam overall, candidates must achieve at least 50% overall in terms of their global marks, but they also have to have passed the anaesthetic vivas themselves as well as one other section of the exam. And that other section obviously is either the multi-choice questions, the short answer questions, or the medical vivas. Good. So, look, I think in terms of decisions to make, there are a few basic decisions before you head into the study. And so firstly, the question would be, are you eligible to sit? Uh, So those requirements are that you must have completed your introductory and basic training. Yes, of course. As well as that, you have to have completed at least 26 weeks of full-time equivalent approved advanced training. Yeah, so for most people, that means that you need to be in your second half of the year for your ATY one year, depending on what else you've done. Okay, so as well as that, you have to have worked and been logging time as clinical anesthesia or other anesthetic time, and that's within the previous 52 weeks. And last but certainly not least, you have to have paid your exam fee and any outstanding fees that you have to the college. So other things are, when will I sit? How much time do I think I need to study? And as well as that, can you afford it? Should you start saving now for all of the expenses that you're going to incur for the exam? And these are not just about the exam fees. As well as this, you need to consider whether you're going to pay for and sit a prep course. And these can be anywhere between a thousand and several thousand dollars, depending on where you are. Do you have to fly um, to a different city in order to sit your anaesthetic vibers? Um, So the cost of flights and accommodation should be considered as well. Now, of course, this is pre-pandemic. This may still apply um, to regional areas within the current confines of the pandemic and more information will be forthcoming in terms of when these decisions are being made by the college. The last thing to consider is what are you going to wear? So not only do you have to talk the talk, you have to look like you want to be Um, a fellow of the anesthesia college, which means dressing professionally, something that you think examiners would want you to wear as a good representative of someone who should become a fellowship within the college. 
And that's for the anaesthetic vivas because the written exam, you can pretty much turn in whatever you find. That is true. If you want to rock up in jeans and Ugg boots, that's absolutely fine. So the other thing is what are the critical dates to remember? For example, registration dates, what date you apply for the exam and study leave, uh, particularly from your department. So it is highly likely there are other trainees in your department that want to access leave for the same courses that you do and the same exams. I cannot stress this enough. You need to use some form of a diary. You need to document it and do not miss these dates. You may choose to use an old-fashioned paper diary. You might want to use Google Calendar, but it is imperative you don't miss these dates because missing out on sitting the exam because you haven't registered in time is a devastating thing to go through and and some people have done that. They (laughs) have. So try to avoid it. Absolutely. It's just an additional stress that you don't have to deal with at Mm -hmm. this time. Okay, so... Now we've figured out all of the answers to those questions um, and whether you're eligible to sit the exam. Now we have to decide where we're going to start with respect to studying. So we will cover study techniques in more detail in a future podcast, but here we're going to talk about some of the basics. So first and foremost, when to start or where to start. So seeking out others that are sitting the same session that you are is a really good starting point. There are different places that you can get this information. So one of them is just talking to colleagues within your department, whether that be registrars or other consultants. You can also talk to the supervisors of training within your department because they may have an idea of who in in their current rotation is going to be sitting the exam, but also um, registrars in previous rotations that you may be able to get in contact with that could be in the same sort of contemplative phase as you are with regards to sitting the exam. So something else to consider is how are you going to actually make a list of all of the topics that you need to cover in terms of completing the breadth of knowledge that's required in order to pass the exam. So that's a little different for the part one and the part two. You can go to the college website. They have a complete syllabus um, where they list every single thing that is potentially examinable on both the part one and the part two exams. So that may be a good place to start or certainly something to at least continue to reference to as you're studying. But definitely you need to be able to form a plan of how you're going to approach all of these sort of myriad topics in a set period of time. Yeah, so look, we'll go through plans and strategies a little bit more in the future. And the sports analogy may have been overdone, but it really is like training for a major sporting event. You need a strategy and you need a plan to guide all your hard work. Uh, it needs a good framework. You will actually learn this technique when you're answering questions for the anaesthetic vibers. And it's a technique in terms of framing and having fence posts along the way that will help you study as well. Um, you really need to cover most of the content, you, you know, that you, you need to without missing anything big. And a strategy and a plan will help you do that. You need to factor in time closer to the exam for past papers and revision of topics because it may be several months since you've covered key topics and you need to revisit them. And I also found having some spare time free for topics that I'd just run out of time. Absolutely. Um, My strategy involved uh, having weeks set aside for different topics and sometimes I would reach the end of the week and not have covered everything I needed to and I allocated myself a bit of time at the end of the study plan to cover those things, but I made myself move on Mm. rather than get stuck. Yeah. And, And also plans for fitting in studying during the week and this is really, once again, a strategic 
uh, concept. So I, for example, I'm not great in the evenings and I'm also not an early riser. So the majority of my study was done on my day off. I was fortunate to be working in a department with four day weeks at the time. And I basically studied on my day off and on the weekends. And that was how I, how I managed my study. And that worked really well for me. But others like to get up at 4am and study. Others are night owls. See, that's exactly what I was. Yep. <laughs> I was that person that fit in every minute of time that I could. And I had a different approach in that I wanted, I set myself a goal that I was going to do at least 20 hours of study a week. And I had a little uh, series of documents with checkboxes. So every half hour of exam study I did, I checked off a box. I knew that towards the end of the week, if I was lagging behind and I had a lot of study to do, I had to ramp up my efforts with each subsequent day. So that was how I made sure that I was meeting all of the goals that I'd set out for myself. So again, two very different approaches to studying for the Mm. exam, but both of them paid off. I think a lot of it depends on who you are, how you found that you studied for the part one exam and what worked best for you. You'll all have an idea of what's going to work based on your previous experience with the part one. So last and certainly not least, the exam, we've mentioned previously, the exam has an enormous breadth and depth of knowledge that you need and that you need to cover in order to be able to pass this exam. So you need absolutely stacks of time to make sure that you are studying everything you need to be studying to be able to answer questions to your best ability. One of the big things that we both found was that consistency is key. Now, your motivation will wax and wane throughout the many months that you decide to study for this exam. This is where something like study groups can come in handy to maintain your motivation and to keep you focused. Certainly, I found that at times I relied very heavily on my study group to get me Mm. through. Did you find the same thing? Yeah, I think so. And also just once again, you can build things into the strategy. So for over Christmas, that week between Christmas and New Year, I gave myself a week off just to give myself a mini break and get recharged. So if you build that into your plan, you can actually have little breaks and and have a brain break, which I think is really important as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. It is a marathon, not a sprint. So you do need to factor in times to give your brain a break so that you get the best performance out of yourself leading up to the exam. So that's about it for episode one of Deep Breaths. Uh, So you're thinking about sitting the ANSCA part two exam. Now, in this podcast, at the end of each episode, we're going to ask ourselves, what did we learn this week in anesthesia? Kate, still. Well, I learned how extreme fatigue affects my ability to make decisions when I give an anesthetic. So basically, it takes me almost three times as long to make decisions. Um, And when I'm talking to people and conferring with colleagues, I have to get them to repeat themselves several times before I can fully process what's being said. And how about you, Kate? What did you learn this week? So I learned what the side effects are of an accidental dexmedetomidine overdose due to a drug error. So in the literature, as you'd expect, they are described as primarily bradycardia and hypotension, and most of the cases described have been in peds. But in practice, our patient became quite agitated and delirious without any hemodynamic instability but they settled with one milligram of midazolam. That's awesome. They suffered no adverse effects, and, of course, we were open with them about what had happened. However, not something I deliberately repeat for obvious reasons. That's perfectly understandable. Well, that's it for our very first episode, episode one of Deep Breaths. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you can tune in for episode two.